Hello and welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Schultz. The first round of the NFL draft was Thursday evening and the Seattle Seahawks, they stayed put at number nine and they went with an offensive tackle. Charles Cross out of Mississippi State. Joining me to talk about the pick is Samuel R. Gold. You know him from Sam's film room up at Field Goals. And Sam, he had a mock draft just a couple days ago. And you know who he had going at number nine? None other than Charles Cross. So joining to talk about the pick is Samuel R. Gold. Sam, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Sam the Prophet. Um, <laughs> after, after nailing that pick to Seattle just a, a couple days ago. Well done. Go go and read the comments. People are not happy about the pick when I made it. But suddenly, people are now happy. Charles Cross is the guy. And I'm saying Charles Cross is the man. I love him. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's funny because I feel like leading up to the draft from a Seahawks perspective, I think that Cross was looked at as, as an unlikely fit for Seattle based on his, well, I, and you know, his run blocking ability, I would almost just say that it's his limited run blocking just based off of the offense that they ran there uh, with the Mike Leach offense, just not a whole lot of run blocking snaps. And I think one of the things that you pointed out in in one of your videos too, just breaking down Charles Cross is that he not a super physical type blocker. So a little bit different than maybe what we've seen in the past from the Seahawks. Yeah, exactly. And that's I feel like that's where the debate kind of came down to. If you look historically at the Seahawks, uh, they have mostly run kind of this inside zone gap scheme where what they would do is they do a lot of shotgun inside zone with with some uh, read option with Russell Wilson. They haven't let him really he didn't he hasn't really kept the ball in I don't know, maybe like three years at this point. Um, And so the entire scheme was kind of based on him being a threat to pull that edge defender out of the way in order to create kind of cutback lanes on especially those shotgun runs. Then what would happen was that they started mixing in these these gap runs and kind of um, like maybe an occasional power run here and there. But once Shane Waldron took over, and this is this is something I broke down before Shane Waldron took over, what I've talked about while Shane Waldron has been there and what I'm going to talk about now is that the entire scheme is basically zone-based. So this this is not... This pick, to me, he fits perfectly into this into this scheme. There's a reason why my my video on uh, on YouTube, I even mentioned that the Seahawks would be a perfect place for him to land. He has. Well, you mentioned the outside zone teams, right? Like San Francisco yeah. and and Los Angeles. Yeah, he is. He he fits that mold. And the thing is that his movement is extremely underrated. Yes, he did not test well, but that doesn't bother me one bit because on film he can do it. And the thing is that basically the the issues that we saw with his film was mostly a little bit of inconsistent angles in terms of um, what, would, what would happen is that if you're doing a, a reach block as an outside zone run blocker, your goal is to basically push out as far as you can while still having the capacity to seal a little bit inside in case someone spikes. And so what would happen is that if someone spikes inside, you just have to be able to get your hands on them and, and push them out of the way. And that's what seals the outside so that a running back can just bounce that baby outside. And that's where all the big runs come from in outside zone. It's basically an over-aggressive, eager defensive end that spikes inside and your running back hits the edge and, and goes for it. And 
the issue we saw in film when it came to Charles Cross in this scheme was that he would overset. And the thing is that in a lot of uh, in a lot of zone principle schemes, the oversetting is actually not as bad because what what happens is that historically, a a defensive end will eventually realize, oh crap, I got to get in front of this block, and they'll run with you. So 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 the coaching point that Kyle Shanahan has, the coaching point that Sean McVay has, is that you can push far and 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 with nice reach steps, and you can push further out because the guy has to follow you. But the thing is that in a wide zone scheme, so that's more like outside zone where you're trying to stretch the perimeter. Uh, when it comes to wide zone, which is more of what our scheme is with the Seahawks, um, the thing is that the edge defender, when you're not running outside zone, you're running what's called mid zone weak, which is basically that's like the the main run that Sony Michelle with the Rams ran. That's the main run that uh, that when they weren't running outside zone was that to- Todd Gurley feasted on. And this is a, a very heavy run call where instead of necessarily the offensive lineman on the like a left tackle or right tackle, instead of them reach blocking and forcing that run, you're also doing a little bit of kind of drive blocking because you're just trying to widen him. Uh, and, and what happens is that cutback lane usually happens between the left tackle and the left guard. And, and, and basically this edge rusher is basically trapped in between. I need to get outside. Uh, this block, so I'm going to try to push hard to get outside this block. And then as a run blocker, you're trying to push them further out. Or if he spikes inside, you try to seal them. And so you're kind of in that kind of back and forth battle, especially on these runs. And the thing is that with, and, and the reason why I bring all this up is that when it comes to Charles Cross, he has the agility, he has the footwork, and he has the placement in terms of his angles to do all of that. He was a little bit inconsistent, and, and I'll be the first to say that. He was a little bit inconsistent just because of the limited number of snaps. This wasn't a capabilities thing. This wasn't a he didn't test well thing. This wasn't any of that. This was an inconsistency in terms of basically numbers, number of times he actually did it. Right. And 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 if and if you're if you're drafting for a 10-year player and you're picking top 10, who gives a Catfish! shit about that? Like it doesn't, it doesn't matter because the thing is that you can teach that, especially if they have the footwork, they've shown the natural ability to have the angles and they show the natural desire in order to want to seal. Yeah. And he's shown all that. This isn't like Ikema Kwanu, who I, who I did not want the Seahawks to take with this pick. Um, and I'm glad he actually went earlier because Ikema Kwanu was, is like a powerful dude, but you have to teach him how to pass block. And, and, that's, <laughs> and, and when Charles Cross is, the second best pass blocker in this entire draft with the best footwork I've seen in terms of his mirroring and his agility. I just like, the, to me, it's, it's a no brainer. He fits the scheme. He's a good pass blocker. He's your left tackle. It's, it's that simple to me. I, I just like knowing that we have a solid left tackle uh, based on, you know, the, well, the one year that I think where what we had George Fant and, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that was that was a rough time. So yeah, I, I'm I'm happy that they went offensive line. I guess I was just I was caught up in some of these same concerns that a lot of the uh, other Seahawks fans had. And I, I think when it came to the the run blocking too, I know we've we spent a lot of time on on the run side of this, but I'm so used to watching guys in college who are Seahawks offensive linemen who are driving dudes to the ground on every run play, and and that's just not Cross's style. Yeah, it's not at all. And the thing is that, so in a, in a zone scheme, you don't need that. The only things you need in a zone scheme are positioning and angles. 
That's it. And 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 it's it's and when I say positioning, I mean your ability to move your hips. Like you you watch the dude's hips, and if you can get his hips around the edge and seal them back inside. Uh, and and when I take when I say angles, I mean I mean the angle he takes after the snap to get into position. It's kind of like a one two thing, right? Because um, if you if you have poor angles, you're gonna have a hard time getting your hips in position. But whatever, we'll we'll just we'll just we'll just keep them separate for now. I also think it's funny, Sam, that right after Russell Wilson leaves is the time that they get a left tackle who is uh, who excels at pass blocking. Yeah, it's uh, but the thing is, Dwayne Brown excelled at pass blocking. He was like one of the best pass blockers. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for a while. Like I'm 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 happy they're finally spending the resources. Uh the, the right tackle spot is obviously I don't know what's gonna happen with that. Main mainly I, I'm I'm hoping Stone takes over or if he ends up being good. I'm hoping Jake Curran. I'm hoping I'm hoping we see something. But the Seahawks the have never least, had a, a right tackle consistently, Sam. It's just it's part of yeah. being a Seahawks fan that uh, part of life. We, yeah. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you. But I I'm so I'm just so pumped for cross. Like I'm just is is run blocking inabilities are so overblown like it's it's to me it's just it's a no-brainer well with the the move to cross them with picking him in the top 10 does this mean the end of Dwayne Brown do you think yeah without a doubt I think I think I think unfortunately Brown is gone I thought Pete Carroll and John Schneider already said that cross is your is your future left tackle like I'm I I I think that's pretty much done and they're gonna probably spend any extra resources getting or either getting a right tackle or something like so, someone either to fill that spot or 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 probably focus on defense. I guess I guess we'll see. Yeah, and I only ask that because you know, in terms of Cross was asked if he has played any right tackle. So do you allow him to learn more on the right side, bring back Brown, and then you have you know two pretty solid dudes on the at the tackle spots for a year, and with the that idea that maybe you move Cross back to the left side after a year. I just you know that that kind of idea I guess is is out there. I, I I don't like the idea of moving moving positions and moving sides. I was listening to and I was watching an um, and ask me anything from Jonah Williams and and either him or another offensive lineman said going from left to right is like sitting on a toilet and using your left versus right hand to wipe. The entire sequence is just completely off and you're not used to it. Because if you think about it, if this dude has been at left tackle for his entire life. He's learned to lean on his left foot. He's learned to hop from his right to his left. He's 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 learned that to to move his body in a certain way that moving him back and forth just doesn't really make sense. I never understood the argument that, oh, that'll give him tackle experience. I would honestly rather play him at left guard than, than play him at right tackle just for that reason. Uh, so I'm in the opinion that you just stick him at left tackle. He'll have some growing pains. Uh, his ability to redirect back inside on twists that was that was average at best i'm gonna i'm gonna be the first to say he's going to let some sacks in just from a stunt inside um or a player that sets him up outside and moves back inside he's going to give him a couple sacks for doing that but as a rookie that's okay that's fine you can learn one of the things though now that you bring up stunts sam i i feel like that was such a problem with the the offensive line as a whole for the Seahawks last season and, and maybe even going back a couple seasons. It was nice watching some of these highlight videos and seeing Cross pick up so many stunts. Yeah, I think it's more or less that uh, it's more or less that his, his redirectability, which might be more of like an innate thing, is just not as quick as what others are. Like Evan Neal is much better at it, for example. But if he can work well with Damian Lewis, and if he can work well with a center that that can help out when needed, 
I'm I, I think I think long term you have a really good left tackle, you have a really good left guard, and I guess we'll see what happens with Austin Blythe at center. But I'm not nearly as worried about that side of the the offensive line going forward. The Seahawks, they get Charles Cross at number nine. There was the thought that maybe they could trade back into the end of the first round. They don't do that. They stay put. They have two picks now in the second round. And coming up after the break, I want to talk to Sam about where the Seahawks might go with those two picks. That's coming up next. I'm joined by Samuel R. Gold of Sam's Film Room. You can catch it on YouTube. You can catch it up at fieldgoals.com when you have some Seahawks-specific videos. And we are talking NFL Draft. And Sam, uh, the Seahawks, they they don't move up into the first round. I think there was maybe a curiosity around the idea of coming up for a quarterback, but they stay put. And a lot of quarterbacks still on the board. Only the Pittsburgh Steelers take QB. Could you see the Seahawks going QB here at the top of the second? I think they could. I think they really could. We have three quarterbacks that I would be completely okay with them taking. You have Malik Willis. Obviously, he's a, he, he was my number one quarterback on the board. I actually had him as a late first round pick, like a mid to late first round pick. So it's not shocking he fell. I'm, I'm shocked he fell out of the first round. Uh, but I'm, I'm not shocked he fell further than we expected for that reason, even though I did kind of expect like a QB needy team to kind of jump up and, and the Pittsburgh Steelers were kind of, you know, that I thought that they were that team. Yeah, uh, the, the Steelers were one of those teams, you know, the, the New Orleans the Saints, St- when they moved up and yeah. took wide receiver, that was a little bit of a surprise to me. Uh, I, I thought maybe they could take a quarterback there in the first round. I thought so too. I agree with you. Uh, outside of Malik Willis, uh, Desmond Ritter and Sam Howell, those are the top, my top three quarterbacks left uh, in that order. I wouldn't mind it if, if they take either of those guys. And obviously it comes down to scheme fit and kind of preference at that point. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, my, my money, even money bet right now is they just, they go with like best player available, which will probably be like an edge or like a cornerback or something like that. Any guys uh, that you have kind of on your, your list there as, as the best available that they would pick? Yeah. Uh, so Arnold Epikiti. Uh, and obviously I probably mispronounced his name, uh, David Ajabu, uh, tore his ACL or, or sorry, tore his Achilles at his pro day. I think he could be a really good developmental developmental player for the following year. I think Drake Jackson from USC, any of those three guys I'd be very happy about Nick Bonito, uh, from Oklahoma, I believe. I think I'd be very happy with him, uh, in terms of cornerbacks, you know, an Andrew Booth or Kyler Gordon from, from Washington and Booth from Clemson. I'm more than happy with either of them. So there, there's and even a guy like Nicobe Dean. And I, I know we've picked, a, we've, we, got, we got a linebacker recently, but Nicobe Dean would be a lot of fun to watch paired with Jordan Brooks. That'd be a really fun combo. Yeah. So I would be completely okay with Nicobe Dean, especially as a value pick. I was surprised that he fell out of the first round when they were talking about five Georgia defenders going in the first round. I thought maybe the safety would slip out, but, but not Dean. Yeah, I, I think it kind of comes down to... Uh, what hybrid role are you going to use him in? Because his ability to take on blocks head on was, was not the best. And he was kind of shielded from that because you have like a Jordan Davis, because you have uh, Trayvon Walker, because you have a Devontae Wyatt, you know, like you, you don't have to take on as many blocks head on and he can just use his skills, which is just being a, like a freaking missile, just running around making plays. So when you mentioned quarterbacks a minute ago, you you mentioned in your top three, Sam Howell. And I, I feel like Matt Corral has been more of the consensus guy 
in the top three. Why why Howell over Corral for you? It's not that I'm not a fan of Matt Corral. I just feel like his upside is relatively limited. When I went through my film on him, his release was excellent. His short accuracy and medium accuracy was fine too. And and with that release, he was very quick and very decisive at getting rid of the ball and doing that. The problem comes down to the fact that he is a bigger project than pretty much everybody wants to talk about. His entire scheme was was run pass options and basically screens. And it was something like 38% of his plays were like that, whereas in college, you're typically in the the 20% range. He had like one of the highest RPO rates in in screen rates in the entire college last season. And so what happens is that when you're going through that system, you have to find reads. And when I went through and looked, I searched for plays where he had more of a fulfilled progression or at least one half the side for progression where he could work backside. He never got to the backside receiver and that receiver was open. Mm. And, and it killed me because once he went through those first one, two, three reads, and the thing is that he, he could read his side fine. He just ran. He just, he just decided to put his head down and, and ran. And you get, you're going to run into that same issue with a guy like Sam Howell too, who had a lot of run pass options and stuff like that. But I don't think it's nearly as bad. And I think Howell is more upside. So for me, it comes down to if you're going to take a low floor player, at least get the high ceiling out of it. And that's what I just I just don't know if I'm convinced that Matt Corral has that, especially because the number of deep passes that I just saw him poorly place. So I'm I'm just not as big of a fan on him in terms of long term upside. And to be honest, I I think I kind of like Howell even more than Ritter. Um, I I think Howell gets knocked a lot for his 2021 offense that he ran because I I feel he just he ran the ball so much. But a big part of it is he lost all his weapons from the previous yeah. season. Yeah, not having a was it Javante uh, Williams, uh, Deami Brown, uh, the receiver that went to the the Vikings in the sixth. He lost everybody, and I went back and watched his game. I think it was a game against Miami. He was a different quarterback. He didn't run nearly as much. He only scrambled basically when he had to. He was more willing to sit in the pocket and throw it. And so I think I think there is a level, there's a level of unfair bias towards his 2021 ability because most most in the scouting community are only watching 2021 because they think, okay, that if that was his best performance, then therefore it has to be more recent. And that's the quarterback you're gonna get. Uh and, and I I think the team that is gonna look back at, the, at his 2020 season, they're gonna see a more polished pocket quarterback whereas if you only look at 2021 you're going to see a scrambler who who's who plays hero ball left and right also his game against south carolina in the bowl game was just ridiculous like he was so good in that game that it just makes me wonder if if that's the quarterback you're going to get or if or if he's just going to be you know uh, like a wake forest guy where it was uh you know he was just average and he also gets knocked because he's about the size and almost looks like baker mayfield and i and i feel like his personality wise completely different guy too yeah, he I, I I got vivid like PTSD flashbacks of Baker Mayfield, but so, somebody somebody gave me a really good just because he was, looks like Baker, though. He, he yeah. does not have the same personality. I'm telling you. No, he doesn't. But it's it's just, it's they, they both had hero ball tendencies in sure. college, too. Yeah, yeah. I think um, someone someone told me uh, a small Josh Allen. And as soon as I heard that, I was like, hmm. yeah, I think okay. I think that's right. <laughs> He's Samuel R. Gold of Sam's Film Room. Sam. If they want to go and check out your videos, where do they go? If they want to support you on Patreon, uh, where should they head for that too? Yeah, so uh, if you find me on Patreon at Samuel R. Gold and, and on YouTube, I'm just Samuel Gold NFL. Um, yeah, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it.
A big thanks to Samuel R. Gold coming on the show and talking a little bit to Charles Cross here right after the Seahawks picked last night. So we are going to be looking for more picks. I don't know if I'm going to be live streaming tonight like I did last night, but I will try and have some analysis for you not too long after the Seahawks make their picks Friday night. And of course, we'll have some more draft talk throughout the weekend. So stay tuned for that. Also, check out fieldgoals.com if you are looking for more to read on the draft picks. We got draft reactions as well. And so check that out. Fieldgoals.com. Devin Siggy has the four best players available on day two of the draft. Check out that article. Till next time, go Hawks. Go Hawks.